All right. Thanks, Clark. Yes, Tony's on vacation, so you get the interns today. <laughs> so that's awesome. So today we are um, starting a new sermon series, like Clark said. Uh, the series is called Me and Jesus' Words. Basically, this, this is spurred on because uh, we just finished up a series um, that we spent several weeks in called Jesus and His Own Words. If you guys were with us, that's, that's what we've been going with. And um, basically what we saw is, okay, what, what did Jesus have to say about himself? Who does Jesus say that he is in his own words? So now we're going to look and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks today and the next couple of weeks, three-part sermon series, a little mini-series, um, seeing, well, what does Jesus have to say about me, about us? Who, who he has to say about who we are? And because uh, this is a 30-part sermon series, it's really tough to, to nail down three things because there's actually like quite a bit of things, many different things that Jesus has to say about who we are. So we're going to find ourselves in Galatians for these next couple of weeks and today. And um, Galatians, I love this book. It's so good. Uh, some of you guys who, who know the Bible, have been growing up in church, you might say, wait a minute, Galatians. There's, Jesus isn't talking in Galatians. There, it's Paul talking, the Apostle Paul. And there's, you might be looking through the Bible and saying, there's no red letters that like, symbolize Jesus talking, right? Well, yeah, those are all true, but this brings up a really good point about what we believe at, at Grace Church, what we believe at Medina East. Um, if you were to go to our website and like, look up what we believe, you'll, you'll see this. I'll have it up here. Right here. <laughs> there we go. So thank you, man. So if you look at what we believe, um, this is it, uh, as far as what the Bible says. So we believe the Bible, made up of the Old and New Testaments, was inspired by God and, in the original writings, is without error. We believe the Bible was written by God through several chosen people and therefore speaks with the authority of God while reflecting the backgrounds, styles, and vocabularies of its human authors. So pretty much, um, there's two biblical concepts we see in here. There's two theological concepts, and I'm going through Moody Bible Institute, so I'm kind of like, I like theology. Theology, I can't even say it right. But there's two concepts here, and the first one we see is this idea of inspiration. So inspiration, and this is kind of like me summarizing it, inspiration is basically the Holy Spirit is responsible for working through the authors of the Bible to result in God's written word, uh, both authoritatively and in a trustworthy, error-free manner. So that's what we're saying when we say ins um, inspiration. And also there's this another, ter another term known as an inerrancy. So an inerrancy, that says that the Bible and its original autographs are incapable of error. So that's what, that's what we believe. We, have, we put high value in the Bible. We believe that um, if you're looking for God to speak to you, it's right here. It's talking to us right here. These are his words. So like I said, we're going to be in um, Galatians. And um, Paul talks a little bit about what we're talking about here, too. So if you would go with me to Galatians 1, chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 11 to 12 real quick. That's on page 810 in the Bibles that are in front of you in the chairs. If you don't have a Bible or a newer translation of the Bible, I encourage you to write your name in that one, take it home. It's a gift from us to you. So Galatians 1, 11 through 12, the Apostle Paul, he's saying this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about him, he's a guy who he was a Jew and um, turned to, to Christianity when, when Jesus himself gave him a revelation. So what he's saying is like, all the stuff that I'm saying here, it's not something that I made up. It's not something that anybody told me. This is actually what God told me. This is Jesus talking here. So that's why I think he's affirming what we believe here, that you know, just because Paul is saying, talking in here, I, I really feel like this is what Jesus wants us to know as well. 
And because we're going to be in Galatians for the next, few, uh, next couple of weeks, I'd like to give us a little bit of context about what Galatians is about. Basically, this Apostle Paul, he was um, in this missionary journey in Galatia, this area known as Galatia. And he he'd started a church that formed out of his proclamation of the gospel. So to Paul, the gospel is, um, he, what he was saying is that, okay, if you're looking to be accepted by God, uh, you just have to have faith in Jesus. God, that's how we get God's forgiveness, God's acceptance. You have faith in Jesus. And from what we know in the Bible, uh, this church was a really healthy church. It was doing really well up until about shortly after Paul left, uh, left the church to continue on the, on the journey that was his missionary journey. And real quick, I think it's interesting um, when the lead pastor left you know, for vacation that these new false teachings started to come in. So hopefully that's not today. But, but that's what we see in Galatians, that there's this false teaching that came in. These, um, pretty much these, uh, these Jewish Christians, they, they were saying, okay, yeah, you can have faith in Christ. I believe that. You have faith in Christ. But you need to supplement that with the law. You have to supplement that with, with works. You have to supplement that with what is known as the Mosaic Law. So the Mosaic Law is basically, in, in the first five books of the Bible, you see um, these different things, these different instructions that God is saying through Moses to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people. And what he's saying is, like, you have these different, um, different instructions for how to worship God, for, how, how, for cursings, blessings, like the Ten Commandments, things like that. So you have all these rules that you have to abide in in order to, to follow, follow God properly, right? So these guys came in, and they're like, yeah, you can have faith, but you need to do this if you really want to be saved. So that's what we see is going on in this church. Now, um, as we're talking about that, whether you're a follower in Christ who, who does put your faith in Jesus, or you're somebody who is investigating in Jesus, the message for today that I feel like Jesus really wants us to know is that, that we are accepted, that Jesus wants us to know that I am accepted that I'm accepted by faith when, um, when I have faith in Jesus Christ, that I'm accepted by God, who is Jesus. So that's cool. Awesome. I'm accepted. What does that actually mean? What does that mean for me in my life? What does that look like? Well, I think Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, says it here in uh, the second chapter of Galatians. So if you want to go to the Galatians 2, just a little bit over in your Bibles here, um, he says in verses 15, we'll pick up, he says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So Gentile sinners, that's somebody who was not Jewish, somebody who did not follow God. So we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So Paul here, we're talking about how Jesus is saying that I am accepted. What Paul is saying is this idea of justified, justification. So to acceptance, justification is kind of like the same. That's what Paul is saying. Basically, the idea of being justified, I have a definition up here for you, is that we are declared or made righteous in the sight of God. Okay, so there's nothing that we can do in our own power to be right and acceptable to God, except by being justified by God. So that's, that's how we are accepted. That's what Paul is saying here. I think uh, this, this other Christian guy, J.I. Packer, he says this a lot better than I do. Put that on the board. He says, just, to justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all of the privilege due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of 
acquittal and legal immunity. So this idea of justification is that God himself justifies or condemns. God himself chooses who is right and who is good, not in ourselves. So, and for you, maybe, maybe you've broken the law sometime, or maybe you've done something good or bad, and you were like, well, I'm right, or I'm wrong. I remember for me, uh, it was like, like a long time ago, many, many years ago, I was like, I wasn't even 18, I was probably like 16 or 17. I know I'm, I'm 25 now, so I guess it wasn't that long ago, but I remember going to um, Cedar Point and at the time with my, with my girlfriend at the time. So we drove down to Cedar Point, we were spending the day there, and on the way back home, we were trying to find directions on how to get back home. You know, we didn't, we didn't really have the iPhone, we didn't have GPS. We, we had the old school, like, printed out MapQuest version. You guys remember that? Sometimes it was always wrong, I don't know. But it was, it was old school, right? Maybe, maybe for some of you it wasn't old school, but for me it was like, where's my technology? But we had the printed out MapQuest version, and we're, we're driving, and we get to this intersection, and uh, my girlfriend at the time, she's like, okay, go straight. So I'm going straight. And then at the last minute, she's like, no, no, go right. So I turn right very sharply to get back on track to where we were going. And l luckily, there was like nobody around, at least from what I thought. But not even 30 seconds later, I, I see the sirens, and I, I see the sirens and hear them, and I get pulled over by a cop. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, where did this guy come from? Like, there was nobody around in this area. So. He comes up to me, and um, you know what every cop says. You know, he goes, "Do you know why I'm pulling you over today?" And me, being a smart aleck, um, I was back then, not anymore. But me, being a smart aleck, uh, I was like, "I was like, oh, I don't know, officer. It's a good question. Why are you pulling me over?" And uh, he he looks in the car, and he, he probably sees how hot and sweaty we are from being at Cedar Point all day. He looks in the car, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna need to go ahead and search your car." I was like, "Oh crap." Like, being a smart dog did not pay off. <laughs> so him and literally about two hours goes by. Him and three other cops, because one cop isn't enough, I guess. But these cops are searching my car and like tearing it apart, looking through it, trying to find whatever. And uh, they, they didn't find anything, of course. And for me, I'm sitting there like, what did I do wrong? Like, what is so wrong? So I finally get the ticket. And the ticket says pretty much like reckless operations, like improper turn. Um, Improper turn and reckless operations in a heavily populated intersection. I was like, I was like, wait a minute, there's nobody around. I don't even know where you came from. So me in my mind, I'm like, there's no way I'm wrong. Like, I'm not paying for this ticket. I'm not going driving back and getting lost two hours to go to Sandusky again. Like, that's not happening. So me, being arrogant, I, you know, ripped up the receipt, uh, the ticket, and threw it away. And like, fast forward eight to twelve months later, right? I had recently got got an Audi. And for me, I thought it was like the greatest thing. I had turbo and a stick shift car. And me and my brother, one night we were like, hey, let's go to Burger King, you know, we're hungry, let's go get some food. So we hop in the Audi and we get up to this intersection, really busy, busy intersection in Fairlawn, you know, the one by like uh, Speedway and, and Starbucks. So we get there, I don't remember who instigated it, but pretty much we just both looked at each other and we're like, I wonder how, how fast we can get to the speed limit. So, you know, the, the gas or the, the light turns green and I hit the gas and I get up to the speed limit pretty quickly and then not even 30 seconds later I'm getting pulled over again. <laughs> so I see the sirens, uh, the cop comes up to the, to the door and of course he asks the question, you know why I'm pulling you over today? And I'm like in my head thinking like I know I didn't do anything wrong, I went the speed limit, like I might have gotten there a little faster than other people but um, so I'm thinking in my head of ways to get me out of this even though I knew I was right or I thought I was right but I was still trying to devise a plan to, to come up with. So I was like, I don't know, officer, why, why did you pull me over? And he goes, 
He's like, I, it looks like you were trying to street race somebody, but there was nobody else street racing with you. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, officer, uh, you know, this is my first stick shift, which is a lie. This is my first stick shift. I'm, I'm wearing sandals. I, my foot got caught. I don't know what I'm doing. Totally called the bluff. He's like, he's like, actually, uh, it looks like you know exactly what you're doing. You're a pretty good driver. <laughs> you got, you, you know, you did what you were trying to do. And he's like, um, and actually, you have a warrant out for your arrest in Sandusky, and your license is suspended. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and at that point, I'm just like, oh man, like that decision that I, you know, I thought I was right back then, is coming back again now. And not only that, but I have to pay these these legal fees of, you know, my car's towed. I can't drive anywhere. I can't even legally drive anyways. I have to pay for the previous ticket, pay for this ticket, pay for all this and all that. And I just remember being very helpless. Like, there's no way I can do this. <laughs> so it was by the grace of my parents and my dad, really, who, who was like, okay, I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm going to get you around. I'm going to, um, you know, put this debt onto me and take care of it for you. Just trust me that I'm going to do this. So, so that's what I had to do, right? I had to trust in my dad that he was going to take this debt away from me so that I could be right with the court systems, right? And I think this is exactly what we're saying here with this term justification, that there's a debt that we cannot pay in ourselves. There's no way that we can get right in ourselves. But we need, we need Jesus to accept us and to justify us to, to take away the debt that we can't pay for ourselves, much like my dad did for me. There's nothing I could have done in that situation. And this is, this is really what Paul is saying is the gospel, that justification by faith is his proclamation of the gospel. It's not by, not by works or not by law. There's no way that you can get right with God. You just have to accept his grace, right? Accept that he's going to trust him, that he's going to get you through uh, these things. So this brings up a really good question. The question is, why is Jesus' acceptance important? Why is Jesus' acceptance so important to me, to you, to us? And I think um, there's two things I have to say about this, but the first thing is, this, con this idea is that we are more messed up than we think we are, okay? We are more messed up than we think we are. And Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? This is the idea of our radical sin. So we have this debt that we can't pay, this sin, this broken relationship between um, me and God, between us and God, and we can't do anything about it. And this idea of acceptance, this is a, it's an issue of faith, right? It's an issue of faith and not works. And what works does, what the Mosaic Law does, like I was telling you guys, that reveals our sin. There's no way that we can uh, live by these written rules every time, all the time. We've at least broken one of them, right? And that's what, that's what our radical sin is. But uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he kind of contrasts that and puts really heavy emphasis on this in verse 16. You see three times he says, put your faith in Christ. He says, but, faith, but by faith in Jesus Christ, put our faith in Christ, justified by faith in Christ, and he contrasts that by this idea of not by the law. He says, not justified by the works of the law. He says, not by the works of the law. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. So he says it like six times in, two, in one verse. So that's pretty crazy. He's, he's really trying to get at something here. And again, I've already said this, but works or law, these are all things that, um, that we have belief in ourselves, right? We have belief in myself that I have belief in myself that I can do these things to be right with God versus, or, and like, I can get myself out of the ticket, right? Like, I can get myself out of this debt that I'm in, and like, I can't do that. What faith is saying, though, is that if you have faith, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he's going to do that for you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. He's, he's already done this for you. Like, for me, it's like, put my trust in my dad, that he's going to take care of this, so that I could, 
you know, not go to jail or something like that. So this idea of, this, of law versus faith is that law is kind of like forcing acceptance. With law, when we think that we can get to God ourselves, we're like forcing our acceptance. Like, look at all these good things I did. You should accept me, right? But faith is saying that, no, all you have to do is just receive the acceptance that's already offered to you by Jesus. So that's the difference there. What we're talking about is, you know, there's, there's radical sin, which seems hopeless, right? And, but then we have God's radical grace, which is his forgiveness, right? So there's nothing that's, your radical sin is not too big for God's radical grace, right? So no matter what you've done in your life, no matter um, how bad you were or are, um, God wants you, Jesus wants you to know that you're accepted, that his grace is bigger than that. And it's tricky because once we go, go ahead and start saying that, right? Once you go ahead and start saying, well, all you have to do is have faith in Christ, and then you're forgiven. So does that mean that, what does that mean for reading the Bible? Does that mean we don't have to read the Bible? Does that mean we don't have to pray? We don't have to obey these things or those things? Does that, does that mean that, that that just excuses our sin? That we can just go on and like living as if like that didn't matter? Well, I think uh, Apostle Paul, it touches on that too in Galatians chapter 2. So if you go just a little bit over in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, we'll pick, up, pick back up in this conversation between Paul and Peter in verses 17, starting at 17. So it says, If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ would have died for nothing. So what Paul is saying here is that, no, no, Christ isn't promoting sin. He's not saying that, you know, you're, you're a sinner, but my grace is better, so just keep doing whatever you want. He doesn't promote that. What, what he's saying here is that accepted people still sin, right? Those of us who have faith in Christ or those of us who know that if we have faith in Christ, we can be accepted by him, we still sin. <laughs> this is part of our human nature. This is part of real life. It's, it's part of our human life. But Paul, he's saying, like, I did all those things. I, I, if anybody followed the law and would have been justified by their works, it would have been me. But instead, <laughs> I died to that. I stopped doing that because I knew that dying to that meant that I lived for Jesus, right? So what he's saying here is that if righteousness works, if all that works, if, if what Paul was doing was the way to get to God or be acceptable by Christ, then Jesus coming down and dying is meaningless and pointless, is in vain, right? So why would Jesus come down to die if we in our own selves can be acceptable to God? It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus did. He, he came down, he took flesh, and he, he lived with us and taught us, and, and he just died for us, and he laid his life down for us and raised again. And he's saying that, have faith in that. Put your trust in that, that he's going to overcome these things in you. And what, what we're really getting at is that this is personal. This idea of acceptance is personal, personal, and what he's offering here is a relationship, something that the law does not offer. A checklist isn't a relationship. A person is a relationship, right? So if you think back to Genesis, um, at the fall, right? So the first humans, Adam and Eve, they, they, they eat the fruit, and you know that's when humans first sinned against God. They broke this perfect relationship that they had with God. 
And from that time on, from the Old Testament to now, God has been in this plan of redemption, redeeming us back to a proper relationship with Jesus in which we can have when we have faith in him and his resurrection. So this is contrary to anything like a country club or, or uh, a, what some of us might think of as religion or a religious group. All those things are you get accepted and it's more of like, all right, cool, you're accepted. See you next week, same time, same place, right? Well, what Jesus is saying is that, no, you're accepted into a relationship with him. So that's a daily thing. It's not just a checklist. It's not just welcome to the club. But he's saying, you get to have a relationship with me, God of the universe, every day. You get to learn from me, and you get to lo be loved by me. So that's, what, that's the, the difference there. Some, some relationship examples, like think about your relationship or your friendships. Like for me, with my, my marriage, my wife Maggie, right? If, if being married to her was this checklist of things, is that really a marriage? If it's like, okay, if she gave me a checklist and I have to buy her a wedding ring, a new ring once a year, I have to buy her flowers once a week, I have to rub her feet at 6 p.m. every night, is that really a marriage? Should I do this? Yeah, I should do those things, right? But those things are not what makes my marriage. Those things are not what makes me married to, to Maggie, my wife. No, it's more than that. It's a relationship. So that's what we're saying here by, by we are more messed up than we think we are. Second thing, why, why is Jesus' acceptance so important? Why should it be important to us? Is because <laughs> Jesus's, it's weird to say that often, Jesus' acceptance is greater than your acceptance. His acceptance is greater than you might, our acceptance. What I mean by that is that Jesus will accept the people that you won't, right? Jesus is going to accept the people that we wouldn't accept. This, shows, this really shows our radical sin and God's radical grace. It really does. I think uh, social pressures alone kind of affirm this idea. Because if it was up to me, if it was up to me, if I were to accept somebody, it would have to be by my own standard. Or if somebody else was to accept me, it would have to be by their own standard, right? Think of it, think of it a different way. What about, what about myself? I don't even sometimes accept myself, <laughs> right? Most times, I think I fail, and I'm a failure. So how am I supposed to accept myself? And when, when I don't get accepted into like a group or a friendship or anything like that, if, I, if I'm feeling that, it's, already, it's, it's even more hurtful because I already feel that anyways. I already know in myself that I'm a failure. So it just kind of re-solidifies that for me. Another thing is um, we can get caught up in the idea of uh, self-righteousness, right? We can look at somebody, look at somebody who may have been a murderer or a thief or who has done something that we would think is like a huge top like sin, right? What if those, that person put their faith in Jesus? Does that mean that they're accepted the same as me? Someone who's been doing good works my whole life? Maybe I've been going to church my entire life? How can you tell me that God can accept that person, right? That almost seems unfair for, for those of us who, who can be self-righteous. And we got to think that Jesus, when he, when he went to die on the cross, he went on, when he went to the hill to die on the cross, he had two thieves on each side of him, right? One of them who was probably like wicked for his entire life up until the point where he met Christ on the cross. And when, once he had faith in Jesus, what, you know what he told him? He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise, right? So up until that point, he's like, oh, you have faith in me? No matter what you've done your entire life, I'm going to accept you because you're putting your entire trust in me right now. He met him in paradise that day. I think another great example is in, in here in the text as well, Galatians 2, um, from starting at verse 11. Before we start reading that, though, think of this. Think of, think of high school, right? A lot of us have probably been to high school. Maybe you're still going through high school. 
Um, maybe you've seen movies about high school. I don't know. Think of high school and the high school cafeteria, okay? So the high school cafeteria, especially if you go to public school, you know that there's these cliques, right? There's all these cliques. There's the, there's the popular kids, there's the nerds like me, and then there's like the jocks and the goths and all this. So you have these different cliques in, in the high school cafeteria, right? Let's say, imagine for a second that you're me and I'm the nerd, right? And I'm in this group and uh, I, I somehow get to be friends with these other people that are more popular or cooler than the group that I hang out with. And all of a sudden, in the cafeteria, I see them and they're going to go sit. So I abandon my friends that I've been with all along and I go sit with these guys, right? Thinking that I'm better and I'm cooler and that I should do that because of, because of that social pressure. So think of that. And maybe some of you guys have been through that. Maybe some of you guys have done that. But I think that's exactly what's going on here in Galatians chapter 2. Picking up at verse 11. Paul is saying, When Peter came to Antioch, Peter is another apostle, by the way. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. It's pretty strong. I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, the people who were not the Gentile Christians, the people who weren't originally Jews. So he drew himself back from these guys because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were now acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, hey man, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish custom, customs. So exactly that here. Peter is showing his hypocrisy, right? He's afraid. He's afraid of what um, they call themselves the circumcision group. I wouldn't want to be called that. But these are the Jews who pretty much, um, they said that you have to be circumcised. You have to do these works and this works if you really want to be saved by Christ. Yeah, have faith in Christ, but you got to do these things. So these guys came in and Peter is just like, whoa, these guys are here. I've got to get away from these guys because they're kind of unclean, right? And yeah, they have faith in Christ, but they're still not adhering to these different rules and stuff. So he is not accepting them. That's his hypocrisy. And that could be our hypocrisy, too. We can easily um, buckle under those social pressures, just like Peter. And Peter, he's a guy who really would have known better, you know, because uh, we see in Acts, Acts chapter 10, Peter, he goes up on this rooftop. I don't, I don't know why he's like hungry or something. And um, G God, he, he gives him a, a vision. So Jesus comes to him and says, shows him like these animals. And Jesus is like, all right, Peter, get up, kill, and eat food. And then Peter's like, whoa, <laughs> I've followed the law all my life. I don't eat anything unclean, right? This is one of the, one of the instructions, one of the, the laws that they would have had to adhere to. He's like, he's like Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And Jesus says this to him. He goes, he goes back and says, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. Right? So he sees this concept with food. And he, what he doesn't um, consider or maybe doesn't realize in the moment because of the social pressure is that he's talking about people too. So Peter is here eating at the lunch cafeteria with the, the Gentile Christians, um, probably the same food that would have been unclean, but he was okay with eating. But then the circumcision group comes in, and he's like, whoa, these guys are unclean now. I can't hang out with them because they're not doing the works of the law. So it's this hypocrisy. What he does is he takes the gospel from what Paul had proclaimed, and he kind of diminishes it. And again, he's like, well, there's faith in Christ, but the law is kind of, you kind of got to do that instead, you know, 
to be really saved, to really be accepted by Christ. So I love what, I love what Paul does here. He, he opposes him to his face and um, pretty much tells him, like, hey, man, you're not acting in line of what you believe. You're a hypocrite. And I think what's, what Paul's doing here is he's saying that this is a relationship with Jesus that is worth fighting for, right? This acceptance. He's, Paul's like, I don't care who you think you are. <laughs> you're accepted by Christ because you're faith in Christ, not by what you do. If it was up to that, Christ shouldn't have even died because we could do that ourselves. But no, it's about, it's about Christ's acceptance through his faith. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, now I have, have one more big question for us to, to kind of take away with and two responses to it. So given this idea of acceptance, knowing that Jesus says that I am accepted or I can be accepted when I come to him in faith, the, the question is, how then do I live out Jesus' acceptance? How do I live that out? What does that even look like practically for me? Well, I think a one, the first big thing here is uh, simply by proclaiming the gospel. How do I live out the acceptance of Jesus? Well, by proclaiming the gospel. So why is that? Well, I think, uh, you know, Paul hit on that here. He's like, he's like look, Peter, if you're, if you're going to live out your acceptance, then I'm going to have to tell you the gospel again because you're doing it wrong. You're, you're being a hypocrite. You're saying that people can have faith in Christ, but these other things. So I think individually for us, maybe we can start by just simply praising God for his gospel, right? Who, who else can say that they're going to accept us like Jesus is, despite what we have done in our lives? He's going to accept us when we, have, when we trust in him to do that. So I'd encourage us to, especially for those of you who, who call yourself Christ followers, start by praising God, asking him to continue to change you, to grow you towards his gospel, knowing that you are accepted by him. And um, this idea of acceptance, I think this is something that we, we share with others, right? Proclaiming the gospel. There's, it's, kinda, it's graduation season right now. So I, I just imagine that these, um, these graduates are waiting for that college acceptance letter, right? Maybe you were waiting for that letter one time, too. So when you, when you apply for college and you wait for the acceptance letter, you're like, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it, and then you finally get it and you get accepted to the college that you've been wanting to go to, right? What do you do? Do you just hold that to yourself and be like, yeah, I, I kind of knew I was going to get that anyways? No, that's arrogant, right? So when you get this acceptance letter, you want to share that with everybody. You want to share that with your parents. You want to share that with your friends? Be like, dude, not in a boastful way, but like, look, I got accepted, and it's a good thing. So by proclaiming the gospel, by, by being accepted by Jesus, rather, that's something that I know for me, when I found out that, wow, I can be accepted by Jesus, my life can change, and I can just put my trust in him, and what I'm doing is, is not working, but I can do that. I'm like, man, I want to tell it to everybody. <laughs> so I did, right? So when we, when we finally realize that we're accepted by Jesus, that's why we proclaim the gospel because we simply want to share that with other people. And we don't use it against other people, right? We use it for, for other people. So we don't just go on the street corner and say, you need to be saved by Jesus, and here's the gospel. And it's like, no, I think, I think it gets more practical than that. I think it's more relational than that. So I would encourage us, um, by, by proclaiming the gospel, maybe that starts with our friendships, right? It starts with building a friendship, just getting excited about what, what Jesus has done in your life, knowing that you are accepted by him and by no other means, Sharing that with a friend. Take him out for coffee. If you don't have a friend, get a friend. Take him out to coffee. And be like, man, this is, this is what God is doing in my life. This is what Jesus has done for me. I just want to share that with you. So very simply, I think that's how we practically live out uh, Jesus' acceptance, by proclaiming the gospel. And I think it starts with relationships, with friendships like that. Second and last thing, and then I'll invite the band up. Uh, 
the last thing of how do I live out Jesus' uh, acceptance? By accepting his acceptance, right? You gotta accept that, okay? You can't just think of it and let it kind of linger in your head. You have to actually accept his acceptance and look to him and trust in Jesus. So for, for those of you who, who might be investigating Jesus or kind of unsure about, about Jesus and putting your trust into him, I would encourage you that, um, you know, Jesus does want to accept us. And it's not, no matter what you've been told, whether you've got to get your stuff straight to come to church or to come to God, Jesus just wants you to come to him and put your trust in him to be accepted by him. So if that's you, if that's a person who, who's debating that in their heads, who are thinking, okay, well, that's a big deal, accepting and trusting in him. I don't really know what that means. Well, I'll tell you this. It doesn't start by, by good works. It doesn't start by behavior modification, right? You don't just change your behavior to come to church. You don't change your behavior and then do this, because that's usually not going to happen. You allow that to happen as a process. That process is through your faith and putting trust in, in Jesus. So if that's what you're looking for, I, I would say don't start with behavior modification. That'll come as an outcome of knowing and, and being accepted by Jesus. Lastly, uh, part of that, you, if you do, if you are a person who, accepts, who is accepting Jesus today, or, or even if you are a Christian, you're like, man, there's some areas in my life that, that I don't just allow myself to trust Jesus. I would say, don't worry, you're not going to be perfect, right? For me, even, um, not because I'm anything, but like I, I've accepted the Lord uh, about three years ago now, and I'm nowhere near perfect. We are not ever going to be perfect until Jesus comes back, really. So don't put that pressure on yourself. That's something that the gospel is not saying. It's saying you're not going to be perfect. This is going to be built in you by Jesus, by your faith in Christ. And I would say, uh, if, again, if you are a person who, who, is ex- who has accepted or, or is considering that acceptance, I would say check out a life group. Join people who are more messed up than they think they are, just like you, right? That's what life group's all about, just living that through together. So I think this, uh, very simply, it's, it's a relationship, relationship with Jesus. That's what this idea of acceptance is. When I am accepted, Jesus, God of the universe, is accepting us into a relationship between you and him, something that we broke long ago that he's rebuilding. Romans 8.1 says something really good. Um, in Romans 8, Paul, again, speaking, he says, man, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. So acceptance in Christ, that's where it's at. Put our faith and our entire trust in him. So that's what Jesus wants us to know, that I am accepted. All right, so thanks for having me up here, guys. I know it wasn't your choice. It was Tony's, but thank you. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and pray then. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just, um, we just thank you so much for how good you are. Man, I know left, left to me, my choice, I would not accept the, the people that you accept today, Lord. Lord, my standards are, are gross compared to yours, Lord. You are, you are good, and you just want to bring your people back to a proper relationship with you. And Lord, that, that's your radical grace compared to our radical sin. So, Lord, I, I just pray for, for everybody in this room today. I pray that we would have, oh, man, just open hearts and minds to you, Lord. Maybe there's, maybe for us, some of us who are followers of you, what, what are some areas, Lord, that, that we aren't putting our trust in you, Jesus? And not that we have to have a checklist to do these things, but, Lord, you accept us. But, but where, where in our life do we, <laughs> do we really need to look and be like, man, I need to just trust you in those things, already knowing that you're accepted. There's no other, there's no other greater feeling than that, just being accepted by, by the God of the universe. And then for those of us in this room who, are, who maybe are investigating, who maybe 
thinking about that, pondering that in their head, Lord, I pray that they would, that they would just look to you. Between their heart and yours, Lord, say, wow, man, what, what I'm doing isn't really working out for me. I need some help. There's a debt that I realize that I can't pay myself. And Lord, I, I just want to put my trust in you, Jesus. So that's you today. Um, Lord, I pray that you would, you would put on these people's um, hearts that they would get to know and love you, God, the God of the universe, and they are accepted by you. Such a great feeling. And Lord, I, I just pray that we would, you would help us to, to share that with people. Such a great thing. So Lord, we just, uh, we just thank you for who you are, never changing God, and the, the way that you accept us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.